says Acts 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And father, we just humbly pause and ask that you'd just graciously help us now by the ministry of your spirit to understand the word of God in this portion of scripture that we are looking at this morning as we continue now in an act of worship towards you as we've prayed and sang and done other things, Lord. We want a worshipful heart as we open the word of God now that you could write your will onto the fleshly tablet of our hearts and that you would speak into our life what we need to hear. So Lord, give us a sensitivity to hear the voice of your spirit in a personal way. Bless your word and speak to us, we ask together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, the primary purpose of a steam train and the steam within a steam train, the primary purpose of that steam itself working inside is not necessarily to blow the whistle to draw attention to the train. The primary purpose of that steam in its proper operation in that steam train is actually to empower the train to move it forward to help people to get where they need to be. Let me just emphasize that again. The primary purpose of the steam in a steam train is not to blow the whistle and draw attention to the train. It's actually to empower the train to move in the direction that it's intended to go and to help people get to where they need to be. Now, with that same illustration in your mind, let me say that is exactly what is true of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. The work of the Spirit of God and his power in the life of a Christian is in order to help us fulfill God's purposes and predominantly that we would become useful to help people to get where God wants them to be. Not to indicate to everyone around us that we're spiritual and draw lots of attention to ourselves. And it's with that understanding in this text today, Jesus is speaking, particularly as I said in verse 8, about receiving power from the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's purposes for the benefit of helping people for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking here about an experience with the person of the Holy Spirit, which both he and God the Father desire for followers of Jesus Christ to experience in their lives, whereby we may be experiencing the fullness of God's power at work in our lives. Now, this experience with the Spirit that Jesus speaks about here in our text is actually spoken of in multiple places in the Bible and in various different ways. For example, in Luke 24 and in Acts chapter 1, Jesus refers to this experience with the Spirit, calling it the promise of the Father. 
We see as well in Luke 24 where Jesus there describes it as being endued or clothed with power from on high. Here in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, Jesus refers to this experience with the Spirit and Jesus himself calls it being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We'll see in Acts chapter 2 and then again in Acts chapter 4 and other spots in the book of Acts, this experience is referred to as being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other places in the book of Acts, it's described, Acts chapter 2 verse 33, as the Holy Spirit being poured out. And then again in chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 10, other places, we see the same experience referred to as the Holy Spirit coming upon or falling upon the lives of people. So my point in bringing that to your attention is in all those instances, it's a reference to the same experience happening where people are coming under greater influence of the Spirit's power in their life. It's not necessarily a reference to the believer having more of the Holy Spirit, but a reference to the Holy Spirit having more of you. Not necessarily I need more of the Spirit as much as the Spirit having more control over your life, more influence over your life, greater rulership over your life. And at the end of the day, look, I don't care how you describe it. I don't care if you call it the baptism with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, the second blessing, getting ghosted. You can call it whatever you want. The greater thing is, are you experiencing it? Are you experiencing what God intends for you in the fullness of his spirit's power? Now, though, as I said, though we covered verses one to seven last week in our Bible study last time as we opened the book of Acts, permit me, if you would, for a few minutes to be a little bit repetitious because the context and the setting, particularly of the verses prior to verse eight, are very important to Jesus's profound statement in verse eight where he talks about this experience remember we saw in verses 1 to 3 last time that Luke there was telling us that after Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins and he died to make payment for our sins and then rose back from the dead that for a 40-day period before Jesus ascended back into heaven from where he originally came before he came and lived as a man on this earth that before he ascended back in his resurrected body, in his glorified new body that he raised from the dead in, that Jesus for a 40-day period kept routinely appearing to his disciples. And he kept making appearances and he would show up and he would speak with them. He'd have a meal with them. He'd let them embrace him and see that he wasn't just a spirit, that he had a tangible, literal resurrection body. And he was continually, it said, giving many infallible or convincing proofs to assure them that he was truly alive from the dead, that he indeed, as he predicted, had come back to life from the dead. And again, when we read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the end of those records, we find multiple references to these different times when Jesus showed up and presented himself alive to his followers. So for over a month, Jesus was stepping out of the eternal and spiritual dimension, and he stepped right into the temporal dimension. He was training them to see, though you don't see me with your physical eye anymore, because I'm not here in the flesh as I once was, I'm still very much alive. And I'm still present with you. I'm aware of what you're doing and I'm available to help at any time. And Luke told us specifically that during those meetings and appearances for the 40 days that he was speaking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
That is, he was talking to the disciples about spiritual matters and the coming kingdom. And then in verses 4 to 8, we now get a record of one of those appearances. One of those appearances that happened during that 40-day span post-resurrection. And this particular time when Jesus met with them and said the things he does here, it seems that it is right before he ascends into heaven because verse 9 next week is going to tell us that while they watched, Jesus was taken up. So this seems to be now towards the end of that 40-day period that Jesus has been showing up and showing up and speaking to them a lot about the kingdom that now right before he ascends, he shows up and it's almost as like here we get sort of like the final words from the coach right before the team goes out on the field for the big game. Because Jesus is about to ascend now and go back into heaven. So it's like this is the coach's final opportunity to talk to the team before they step out on the field. So he says, listen, pay attention here. This is important. And that's what we have Jesus talking about here on this occasion in this meeting. Look with me again back in verse 4. It says, Jesus being assembled together with them. That's his followers, the disciples. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So on this occasion, Jesus appears, he speaks with them again, and he talks to them, as I said, about kingdom matters. And this particular time, notice, It says, verse 4, that what Jesus did on this occasion, which could have been maybe the very last occasion he appeared to them before he ascended, it says he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but instead to wait, he said, for the promise of the Father, which I've already talked to you about, which you've already heard me tell you about before, he says. Now, remember, context-wise, prior to this occasion, Jesus had given the disciples an instruction a commission specifically. We find it both in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 where Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, he gave them what we often call the great commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. I want you to think about this. We read the Gospels, we see what Peter, James, John, the disciples were like. These were weak and faulty men. They were chosen by the Lord. They were able to serve together with the Lord. But clearly the Gospels revealed these were men who were nothing other than men at best. They were weak and faulty individuals. And think about this. Jesus now lays upon them this huge and impossible task. He says, look, I'm ascending back into heaven. My earthly ministry as a man and a body of flesh has come to an end. But now I want you to carry it on. And he commissions these disciples, weak as they are, to basically carry on the ministry of Jesus to spread the gospel to the entire known world. To be those who would go out and continue his work leading people into a relationship with Jesus, teaching and guiding people what it meant to be a true disciple or follower of Jesus, not only leading them into a relationship with Christ, but then teaching them how to live for Christ and serve as a faithful disciple. Uh, And the question becomes, how in the world could these weak men carry out such a huge task? 
I mean, he has given them something to do that so far supersedes their capacity and their ability. One would have to wonder how in the world would they do such a thing? Well, that's the reason for the final instruction we have here. And after Jesus commissions them to go, to preach, to teach, to minister, he then says to them, but wait, don't go yet. Don't go yet, he says, you're not ready because you still need something. That's why he's saying to them here not to depart from Jerusalem yet. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I know I've given you a commission and you know what to do, but he's saying, listen, you're not ready to do it yet. There's something that you still need. So he's saying, I know I've told you to go and what to do, but don't head out in your own human efforts and try and fulfill it in your own strength. Don't think that somehow you can accomplish what I'm asking you to do in your own energy, in your own effort. Instead, he says, wait for the promise of the Father, he says, which you've heard about from me already. Now, what Jesus speaks about when he says the promise of the Father, which you've already heard from me, the idea is in a prior discussion, is what's recorded in Luke 24, verses 46 to 49. Let me remind you of that conversation, what Jesus said. He said, thus it is written and it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead at the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, Jesus said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, wait, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus told them, look, this is what you're to go preach, that people need to repent and turn from sin, that they need to receive the forgiveness of sins that comes from Jesus Christ dying on the cross for them and raising from the dead. But he says, yes, you're to be the ones to go witness of this and testify. But he says, but wait until the promise of my father is given to you. And he says, and you will be endued with power from heaven. Heavenly power will come upon you. You'll be clothed in power. Now, look, though they knew what Jesus wanted them to do, go out, preach, teach. They knew what Jesus wanted them to do. They needed to understand how it was to be done. They needed to understand how it was to be accomplished. And the way it was to be accomplished was not by might, nor by human power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. That they needed the power of the Spirit of the Lord. They needed a spiritual experience where they received divine power from heaven. That's what Jesus meant when he was saying, you will be endued with power from on high. The word endued means to impart or supply with some gift or quality or resource or ability to enrich a person's life. And Jesus was saying, I want to supply you with supernatural power from heaven. I want to give you a capacity that supersedes your natural ability as a person that will be a supernatural enablement, a divine anointing, a power from heaven given to you to fulfill heaven's purposes and be equipped for Christian service. What Jesus wanted the disciples to understand, and it's crucial for us too, is that education was not enough. That training was not enough. The disciples had great education. They lived and walked with Jesus for three years. That's better than any seminary I know about, any Bible school I'm aware of. They, walked, they, heard, they had great teaching. 
They had great training. They literally served together with Jesus, trained, mentored, discipled how to do ministry. But Jesus was saying all the education and all the training humanly on the horizontal anybody can receive, it's still not sufficient. He's saying there's still something else you need and what you need is supernatural power from God. What you need is the enablement supernaturally of the Spirit of God upon your life in order to be effective in preaching the gospel, in ministering and serving people and and teaching the word of God and carrying out the Lord's purposes and plans. And he says, there's this promised gift of the Father and I want to supply it to you, he says. So wait for it. Wait until you are supplied with this promise from the Father of supernatural power so that then you can serve effectively. And of course, we'll see that given in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost where they wait and tarry in prayer and this promise of the Spirit's power comes upon their life, giving them capacity to have supernatural influence as they needed. Now, Jesus wanting to, it seems, further help them understand what he meant about waiting for this promise from the Father that would be given to them In verse 5 here in Acts 1, he further describes what he meant about this promise from the Father that he had already talked to them about. And notice he uses now the imagery, the illustration of baptism to talk about it. He says, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you, he says, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he reminds them to consider, to think about the baptism that happened in John's day. Everyone was familiar with that. People were going out to the Jordan River and John had been preaching, repent, prepare, the kingdom of God is at hand. And people had been going out to John the Baptist to be baptized by him in the water. And the purpose of that water baptism was to identify a life change. John's water baptism was intended to be a way where the people would indicate they desired to live a new way. They wanted to turn from sin and they wanted to be ready and prepared for the Messiah and living for the kingdom of God. But the person in the water baptism experience would willingly go out and they would allow someone else, they wouldn't do it themselves, they would allow someone else to fully submerge them into the water to immerse them into the water in such a way where the water fully covered them and it completely came over their life and the water itself, the physical water, would impact their physical frame in such a way where in that experience of letting someone else submerge them in the water and the water completely come over top of their life, their condition would be changed physically. In the sense that before they were water baptized, they had their hair nice like you all do this morning, had their makeup ready and they looked nice. And and, and then once John the Baptist put them under the water and baptized them when they came up, their condition was different. Now they went from dry to soaking wet. Their hair was all messed up. They were all disheveled, right? Their condition was changed by the experience of the water baptism. Now, uh, With that being said, today as Christians, the Bible, even as we're going to do today, tells us that we are to be water baptized as followers of Jesus. That we are to make a clear public demonstration of a life change where we undergo water baptism to show that we're one with Christ. That as we go under the water, it's a picture of death and burial. And you come back out, it's a picture of resurrection. I'm one with Christ and I've experienced that. And I'm a new person. I'm done with my old life. I want to live for Christ. 
But it's interesting that it's that process of water baptism that Jesus utilizes now to paint this picture, if you would, an illustration or analogy of this spiritual experience that he wants for his followers to have in their lives. That that's the terminology that he uses about being baptized, even as John baptized with water. The idea is even as being water baptized, the person's physical condition changed outwardly from dry to wet. Jesus is saying, look, in the same manner, I intend to baptize you as my followers with the spirit of God that you would have an experience. He says, John truly baptized with water, but you, my followers, he says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in the next few days, as we'll see when we get to chapter two, Jesus had this powerful spiritual experience that he intended to bring upon his followers. And in that experience, being baptized with the Spirit, if you would, that meant that they would be fully submerged into the power of God's spirit that in the same way the water completely came over someone's life in a physical water baptism the idea is Jesus saying I want to completely submerge and immerse your life in such a way where the spirit of God completely just overflows and comes on top of your life and completely just overwhelms your being And this is the analogy that Jesus has pictured in the same way that it would bring supernatural change. In the same way somebody's condition was different when they came out of the water and their condition also impacted others. He's saying, look, in the same way, this is what I want in a spiritual sense that there would be a baptism with the spirit in your life so that you would have influence. And again, that's the whole same idea picture there again. Today, after someone gets water baptized, they're going to come out of the water and they may come out and they come walking towards you and you're nice and dry and you're neat and thinking, oh, I love this brother, but I don't want to hug him right now. He's soaking wet, right? Because if you hug him, what's happening? Now you're going to get soaking wet. And now their experience, right? Now it's influenced you because now you've gotten wet with water because of their experience. Well, look, same way with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When someone has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, not only is their condition changed, but that's the same idea that they, just like the water contacts the person they come in contact with, that the ministry that's happened of the Spirit in their life would begin to have an impact on other people. And whoever comes in contact with them would have an experience with the Spirit of God as well. That's why Jesus says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus wanted this for them. Now, please remember as we go on with this, The Bible tells us that these are the followers of Jesus and these followers of Jesus, this is Peter, James, John, those guys here, Matthew assembled together. They've already been, I personally believe, indwelt with the Holy Spirit because John chapter 20 in one of Jesus's post-resurrection encounters with them, it says in John 20 that Jesus, when he showed up, It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus breathes on you, just like when God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and it says Adam became a living being, Jesus appeared in his resurrected form, and to those who were already his followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I have a hard time believing that regeneration didn't happen in that moment. They received the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came into their life and they were regenerated, as we would refer to it as, or indwell at that point. Yet now here, the context of the conversation in Acts chapter 4, 
uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 8 is happening at a later time right before Jesus ascends back into heaven the John 20 indwelling experience has already happened to them and now Jesus seems to be referring to a subsequent or a distinct secondary experience that can happen with a believer in Christ who already has the spirit indwelling them as the result of their conversion experience or salvation experience whereby Jesus further empowers or enables them with power from on high with heaven's power by baptizing them with the spirit to serve effectively let me just say and you're free to disagree certainly as always I do personally believe that beyond being indwelt with the Holy Spirit at salvation or conversion when you accept Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit enters into you you're sealed you're, you're dwelt with the Spirit at that point but I do believe there is still available beyond that experience a subsequent experience with the Spirit of God whereby a person who is already a believer and, and has the Spirit in them can be baptized with the Spirit's power and can experience that and I believe continual fresh fillings with the Spirit for effectiveness and we'll see this repeatedly showing up in the book of Acts where they were filled with the Spirit and then they were very bold in their service they were very effective in the things they did so look at me verse 6 let's continue to look at how this unfolds so Jesus speaks about this their minds get distracted which helps because that happened to you right probably when I'm talking you're thinking about something else verse 6 Jesus is telling them about one thing therefore when they had come together they asked him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel so the disciples get distracted because they want to understand God's plan now this this makes sense to a degree hearing Jesus over 40 days speak a lot about the kingdom of God how that they knew that included promises and plans for the nation of Israel God has given plans to his chosen people Israel God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel he still has plans that he's going to fulfill to Israel and the Jews understood that and now hearing about a promise from the father and a lot about the kingdom and now the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out this starts to stir their curiosity about God's plan and that's why they say Lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel again the kingdom of God and the outpouring of the spirit often were talked about in a connected way in the Old Testament you see this in passages like Zechariah 12 and Joel 2 and Isaiah 32 so hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom and the outpouring of the spirit they think well maybe he's going to restore the kingdom now maybe this is the time when the messiah is going to finally set us free from slavery and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to restore us once again to our place of prominence as the nation of israel and so they begin to curiously wonder about this and they say lord is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom and bring about your plan for us nationally notice they're preoccupied with what wanting to understand god's plan they're preoccupied more than that with wanting to understand prophecy and theology and to me this is interesting because they were very concerned about knowing and understanding the plan of God Jesus is very concerned instead with them experiencing the power of God a lot like us sometimes we want to know everything about God's plan for our life everything about God's plan we want to know everything about prophecy and everything about theology and we love all that. And, and I think sometimes Jesus is saying, listen, I, it's great that you want to know those things, but honestly, I'm more concerned that you would know the power of God 
in your life than knowing everything about God's plan and everything about prophecy. So Jesus answers them, verse 7, it is not for you to know, he says, times or seasons, which the fathers put in his own authority. So Jesus, notice, is saying it's not necessary for you to know the details about the plan of God that you want to know right now. God would bring about his plan for Israel. He was going to fulfill his promises for Israel. We know God will do that. He's a covenant-keeping God. But the timetable, how that would happen, was not important at this juncture for them to know. And so that's why Jesus is answering them here, saying, look, you don't need those details about God's plan right now. You don't need to know the exact time and the exact season that that's going to come to pass. And sometimes, does he not? The Lord kind of says the same to you and I sometimes. Sometimes we're so inquisitive and curious and the Lord says, listen, I'm going to do it. You don't need to know the time. When the time's right, it'll happen. You don't need to know the season. When the season is right, it will happen. And sometimes the Lord kind of has to talk us down. You don't need to know the time or the season right now. Just trust me in faith that it's going to come to pass. And they didn't need to understand the plan of God at that time period. They needed to know and experience the power of God. Listen, for that time period they were currently living in. Because there was something that Jesus wanted them to do and they needed the power of God to carry it out. So Jesus says, you don't need to know everything about God's plans regarding what's ahead. Verse 8, but he says, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So notice Jesus wanted them to prepare instead for receiving empowerment from God's spirit in their lives in such a way that the present plan of God for the season they were currently in could be carried out effectively. They're concerned about something that's the plan of God down the road. And and Jesus says, listen, let's live in today. Stop trying to get down the road. Stop trying to forget about the season ahead. Look, today, right now, I have something for you to do. He wanted them to preach the gospel and serve people and carry out his will for them at that moment. And he says, listen, you need power to live for today. You need power to live effectively right now. And so he says, don't worry about the time and the season ahead. He says, that will happen. What you need is power to serve. And he says, and spread the gospel. You're going to see here, verse 8, locally and nationally and globally. And Jesus, referring to that promise that he wanted them to receive, says to us here in verse 8 regarding this and to them, you shall receive, look at it there, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, Here we find in the word of God, really the third of three different experiences that Jesus himself talks about in the word of God that a person can have with the Holy Spirit. Jesus mentions three distinct, specific experiences that any person can have with the spirit of God. The first two experiences come from John 14, verse 16 and 17. Let me read them to you. Jesus said this in John 14. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. 
So as Jesus was beginning to train and teach and prepare the disciples for this transition that would happen as he left in a body of flesh and he went back up into heaven, he said, look, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send another helper, another of the same kind, the Greek literally is. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to indwell every believer and help every believer in the same way that I was here to help. And Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit says two things regarding two experiences. He said of the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you and he will be in you. So there's the first of three experiences. The Holy Spirit will be with you, para. The language is alongside of you. He's with you. And that describes really what's true of the Spirit for every human being on the earth. The Bible says, where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God's Spirit, in a sense, is with every person. He's with us prior to even when we're a follower of Jesus Christ. He was with us before we got saved doing what? Trying to convict us of our sin and convince us that we needed Jesus as Savior and to draw us into a personal relationship with God. So the Spirit is with people prior to their conversion, drawing them, working in ways, trying to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. That's one experience, the Spirit being with a person. Jesus said, but the Spirit also, secondly, will be in you. There he's referring to what would happen now, post-crucifixion and resurrection, and now that the Holy Spirit is the agent operating on earth of the Godhead, that when a person receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible teaches that at the moment of your salvation and conversion, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And you're now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside the life of a believer. When you're born again of the Spirit, a spiritual life begins and the Holy Spirit moves inside and he takes up residence. And he permanently dwells inside of the Christian, helping us to live for Christ. So there's the second. He'll be with you. He can be in you. And then here in Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24 describes as well, Jesus mentions a third experience that someone can have with the Spirit. And he uses a completely different term in Greek preposition. Here in Acts 1.8, he says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Totally different Greek preposition there that preposition speaks of the spirit of god coming on top of or overflowing you like i said when you would go into water and the water would completely come over top of you and here jesus is describing the what we often call and he himself calls it so i'll call it that verse you know five he calls it being baptized with the holy spirit where the spirit comes upon or overflows your life and again what this is, I believe, referring to, again, the Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, you already have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. He permanently lives inside of you. He helps you to have a relationship with God, to pray, to hear God's voice. He's working inside of you to help you overcome sin and grow in holiness. He's working inside of your life to help you become more Christ-like and mature in your relationship with the Lord but what we need to realize is to remember the Spirit of God living within us helps us with the work of Christ within us. But we need to understand the plan of God is not just that the Holy Spirit would work in us subjectively, but that ultimately the Holy Spirit would be able to work through us. Not just in us, but ultimately through us to the greater degree. John 7, where Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit 
and the ideal of the Spirit's work in a believer's life, listen to Jesus' words about the ministry of the Spirit in the life of a follower of Christ, a believer. Jesus said, out of a believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. And it says he spoke this of the Spirit. That out of a Christian's heart would flow rivers of living water. It's a picture there of a river overflowing its banks. Again, you've seen a river when it looks normal. And then if you ever see a river where flood stage, it overflows its banks. And then when it overflows its banks, it does what? It influences its surroundings. And this is the language Jesus uses to say, look, the highest ideal of the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer is not just to satisfy your own spiritual thirst. That's the first work, to, to help and satisfy your own thirst and need inside of you. But ultimately, the Spirit wants to overflow from your life to influence others, like a river of flood stage, splashing over its boundaries and, and impacting others around it. The intention of the Spirit's ministry is powerful overflow. And in order for that to happen fully, Jesus says there's a experience of being baptized with the Spirit coming upon your life. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, look at the resulting outcome. When the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, you, he says, will receive power. You'll receive power. Now, that word power Jesus uses there, it's dunamis in the Greek. should sound familiar. It's where we get our English words like dynamic and dynamite. And so what Jesus is conveying is when we receive this power, this dunamis from the Spirit, we're receiving a spiritual dynamic for our Christian life. We're receiving a heaven-sent spiritual dynamic where we're infused supernaturally with the power of God from on high to have a greater dynamic in our Christian influence, to have a greater effectiveness in our service for the Lord as we're enabled. Again, just like dynamite, you know, last I checked, when dynamite goes off, usually it influences its surroundings, right? And so Jesus is saying there is this dynamic dynamite power of the spirit that he wants to give that brings change to what it influences. That's the idea spiritually, that we would be empowered by the spirit where we come under the power of the spirit, listen, to a deeper and greater degree for the purpose of greater usefulness for the Lord greater impact for the kingdom of God, greater influence for the cause of Christ. Again, can I emphasize, notice, what the power from the Spirit is supplied for is not to toot your own spiritual horn. That's not what it's for. The primary purpose of having an experience with the Spirit of God is not so then by your outward antics, people can say, wow, she seems really spiritual. He seemed, That's not the purpose. The primary purpose, look at it in the text. The Bible gives the answer. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Here's the result. So that you shall be witnesses to me, Jesus says. That's the primary purpose of having the Spirit come upon your life is Jesus says, so that you can be my witnesses. So believers are empowered to more effectively testify for Jesus, to more effectively represent Jesus. Acts chapter 4 Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Think about that. It says they were filled with the Spirit, Acts 4. And then it says the result with great power, they gave testimony to Jesus and his resurrection. 
these men who were weak, fearful, they were hiding in upper rooms, locked away. They were terrified. Some, and then they have an experience with the Holy Spirit and now with great power. They're influential witnesses. They have courage and boldness. And look, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon our lives to be effective witnesses for Christ. To be bold for Jesus. To have courage to live for Jesus and live devoted for Christ. To speak to people about Christ. That we'd have a greater boldness about being unashamed to be a Christ follower. In our schools and with our friends and peers. In our colleges and in our job places and with our families. That there would be a boldness that I am not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is who I am. It is my identity. I don't need to prove to you who I am. I know who I am. I'm a follower of Christ. And that we would have a courage and a, an ability from the Lord to speak about Jesus more freely and tell people about the Lord and share the gospel. And interesting, if you think of it, he says, you shall be my witnesses. What does a witness do? Well, from a court perspective, a witness basically testifies to the truth without wavering, right? That's what a witness does. You testify to the truth without wavering on what you know is true. And the purpose of a witness is to give clear and honest testimony of what they know to be true to help others decide properly. Well, that's good for the spiritual life. Jesus wants you to be a powerful, bold, clear, not weird, <laughs> powerful, bold, clear, unashamed witness. Interesting, Jesus say, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit so you can go out witnessing. Well, he doesn't say that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But he says, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. You'll represent me more clearly. You'll represent me powerfully in an influential way where people aren't weirded out by you, but they're intrigued by you. What do you have that I need? What, you need to tell me more. What, what is it in your life? And that we would be witnesses to help other people decide properly because the Holy Spirit has given us this renewed power that we need divine enablement. Boy, you know, I look at that and I think to myself, who in their right mind as a Christian doesn't need that? Doesn't want that? To experience the ability to have that boldness. And notice how Jesus intends for the ministry that they would do to happen for his kingdom. The end of verse 8, he said, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem. That was their local city. In all Judea, that was southern Israel. And then Samaria, that was further north in the country. And to the ends of the earth. The picture there is like a ripple effect. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Again, for us it may be like Jesus saying, I want you to, to do ministry starting locally and close and then expanding outward. Jerusalem would be like their city. You might say Judea would be their county, Samaria would be their state, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And I think in some ways, as Jesus speaks about his ministry and how he wants ministry to be done, perhaps there's a paradigm there for how Jesus is telling us to do ministry. To be effective where we are locally, and as we do that effectively, to then continue to increase in our reach and our influence. Look, today, in light of this text, let me ask very clearly, do you desire in your Christian life a greater boldness in your personal witness and testimony for Jesus with your friends and family and co-workers and fellow students in your community where you would have a greater sense of boldness to be unashamed to be a follower of Christ? 
that you wouldn't be fearful to live out your faith in Christ, that you'd have courage. Well, listen, if you desire that, look what Jesus' answer is. He says, you shall receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Today, as you evaluate your Christian life and your relationship with the Holy Spirit, is it like powerful rivers of living water flowing forth from your life? Is that what your experience of the Spirit is like? Like a torrent of living flood stage water coming forth from your life? Do you desire the Spirit's work not just to be like a stream working in you calmly, but instead to be like an overflowing river that's impacting others? If so, let me just say, maybe the Lord is saying to you, He has something more for you. And I would just say in humble reasoning, why would you not want to experience the fullness of the Spirit's power? You're not afraid of God the Father, are you? You're not afraid of Jesus Christ. Why would anyone be afraid of the Holy Spirit? They're all one last time I checked in the Bible. Just because people do weird things, don't think that means something weird's going to happen if you're open to the power of the Spirit. Any more than something weird's going to happen if you're open to Jesus or open to the Father. Jesus said in Luke 11, if you who know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who? who ask him. See, we inherit the promises of God and it's a promise of God by faith. By faith. By simply asking in faith, believing it's true. It is one thing to be born again of the Holy Spirit. Personally, I believe it is a whole other thing to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Both are important. Both are available to us. Certainly at the moment of conversion, you are indwelt with the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit working in your life. But yet we believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a subsequent experience that is available to any Christian. A subsequent experience whereby in a separate and distinct way you can experience, listen, I believe, ongoing occasions where you are baptized with the Spirit and emboldened and empowered and enabled to be more effective in your Christian life and in your service for the Lord. And the Bible declares that the Lord Jesus is the one who actually baptizes with the Spirit for power. Matthew 3.11, John said this regarding Jesus. He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He, that's Jesus, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In John chapter 1, again, as John is referring to Jesus, pointing, he says, I, I wouldn't have known who he was, but I heard the Father say, who you see the, the Spirit descending upon, he says, and remaining upon, that's him. And he says, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on, this, listen, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Who's the baptizer? Jesus your Lord Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He'd never do anything harmful to you. He wants to help you. And Jesus is the baptizer. And so my encouragement to you this morning as we enter back into a time of worship is do you want to come under the power of the Spirit of God to a greater degree in your life? I do. Do you want to have a greater boldness in your spiritual life? Do you want to have a greater influence for Jesus in this world? Do you want to be a more useful servant for Christ? 
If that's the case, listen. Believe what the promise of God is and ask Jesus today to baptize you with the Spirit. Jesus, I believe it. If you have something more for me, Jesus, today, would, would you just baptize me with the Spirit, as your word says? I want that, Lord. I need that in my life. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to assemble together and to worship you and your Son and just to be open to the ministry of your Spirit working in our lives and among us. And Lord, as always, we don't want to be hearers, but doers of your word. We believe, Lord, we're supposed to respond to what you say to us. And you know what that may look like for each one of us this morning. Lord, as a church collectively, certainly we want to see more of the power of your spirit at work among us. As individuals, Lord, some of us are feeling maybe a bit anemic spiritually. And we we want a greater experience with the power of your spirit. So Lord, even as we worship, we, we pray that our hearts would be responsive toward you, even as we're singing and standing here in this room, Lord, that we would perhaps lift our voice to you and be responsive according to what you're saying to us this morning. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen.